On March 16, 2000, two sheriff's deputies were shot in Atlanta. Jamil Alamine, a Muslim leader and former black power activist, was convicted. But the evidence was shaky, and the whole truth didn't come out during the trial. My name is Mosi Secret, and when I started investigating this case in my hometown, I uncovered a dark truth about America. From Tinderfoot TV, Campside Media, and iHeart Podcasts, Radical is available now. Listen to the new podcast, Radical, for free on the iHeart Radio app or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to The Dossier, presented by Metro by T-Mobile. Previously on The Dossier. Jesus. Who else knows about this? I mean, if the FBI got a hold of something like this, if I knew about this stuff, I would have subpoenaed the shit out of that place. And that's the the holy grail right there. If that document that you just read gets into the right hands, it will not only make this case, it will cause a shitstorm that this city has never seen. Never seen. You are now listening to episode nine of The Dossier. Over the course of the previous eight episodes, you have heard piece by piece how the murder of Biggie has been covered up and the larger reason as to why the LAPD and the levers of power inside Los Angeles don't want justice for Valletta Wallace and Biggie's family. Each character I introduce you to brought new information evidence, and insight on what happened the night Biggie was killed, why he was killed, and how select members of the LAPD and attorneys for the city of Los Angeles decided that they needed to suppress evidence of a very clear narrative. Then when he told me about the Biggie murder, we were we had, we had been drinking. All right, and I was like, Biggie's song came on the radio, and he was like, oh, man, fuck that, fat dude. I'm like, man, you know, like this, I mean, this is one of the best, biggest, you know, best rappers in the world. He's like, man, you know, fuck that guy. Then his whole board changed. He was like, hey, you know, I was there the night he was killed. And I'm like, what? You know, and then he started telling me everything. But then his whole demeanor changed. But then that next morning, you know, he had, he came in my cell, and he put his hand on the middle of my chest and didn't let me up. And didn't let me up. And didn't let me I've tried to use common sense when it comes to the evidence in this case and the various components that just can't be explained away. You can't explain hiding evidence in a desk. You can't explain leaking false information to the LA Times. And finally, you can't explain why the city attorneys for Los Angeles did everything in their power to make sure that Phil Carson's investigation was stopped and the truth hidden. The key guy here is a guy named Katz, K-A-T-Z. I think his name was Steve Katz. And uh, Detective Robbie Homicide. And he's got this stuff locked in a, in a cabinet right behind him. And he's got a secret compartment in his desk. Uh, and if you've ever worked with him in Robbie Homicide, you know that. If you remember correctly, the private investigator for Valletta Wallace, Sergio Robledo, stated something very clear. The miscarriage of justice in this Biggie case comes down to a very simple principle in any investigation. The right to pursue justice by any means necessary. The right of a homicide investigator to track down and either verify or discredit witnesses, leads, and evidence. Both Russell Poole and Phil Carson 
were not afforded this liberty as investigators. You have to ask yourself the simple question, why? That's exactly right. And see, that's why Russ Poole became an object in the roadway that needed to be derailed and moved out of the way. And so Russ, bless his soul, I'm not saying that he's right. I'm not saying that the guy he said killed the guy is the right guy. That's not the point. The point is that, that when you take away the freedom to pursue justice, the first victim is justice. Phil Carson and Russell Poole both were decorated and respected investigators, moral, ethical, and by the book. They had perfect records inside their respective organizations. Yet, the powers that be tried to ruin both of them. What motivated that? Let me ask you a question, because it did come up in one conversation that I, that I had. When you, when you were in like the midst of your investigation, in the heat of it, How confident were you with what you had found and the investigation that you did that Amir Muhammad was the trigger man? I was pretty confident at the beginning. And the more and more I investigated the case, the more and more confident I became because there were no other, there were just no other leads or no other people that were popping up on my radar. And then what basically sealed the deal was when uh, when me and Flaherty and Psycho Mike went down to, uh, to Chula Vista. The, the, one, the one thing where I knew without question was the time that I sent Psycho Mike uh, to the door and when he talked and Amir came to the door and they sat and they talked for probably... 45 seconds, a minute, or whatever it was. But Mike made it very clear why he was there, what he wanted to talk about, and stuff like that. And the way, and this is all on the recording. I mean, it's, it's, in, it's in evidence with the FBI, but what sealed the deal was is what Amir Muhammad did not do. And that was, you know, who the fuck are you? I, I have no idea who you are. What are you talking about? You know, somebody comes up to your door and says all that stuff, you're going to be like, whoa, what what the fuck's going on right here? And yeah. and Amir never did that. Amir had this full conversation with Mike. And Mike just said, say, hey, man, we got to sit down. We got to go over this. You know, the feds are talking to me. They're trying to inter- interview me. They're asking a lot of questions. You know, I've heard from other uh, OGs that are, ta- that are being uh, pursued and all that sort of stuff. I mean, he has a regular conversation with Amir. And that, to me, that was, that, that, that spoke volumes um, that not only what Mike was saying about Amir and his relationship with Amir and how he got introduced to him by his brother and all that sort of stuff, but then on top of that, all the evidence that pointed at Amir and nothing else pointed to anybody else. Whatever you go do, just do it for a reason, you know what I'm saying? Don't be the fool to just sit back and do it because somebody else is doing it. Because all you're going to do is follow in somebody else's footsteps and you're just going to be a shadow. Who will be a shadow for the rest of their life, you know what I'm saying? If you got a little something that you know how to do, progress at it, keep trying. I mean, God knows what to happen, you know what I'm saying? That's what I did. Just kept on rapping. Just happened to get to the right ends, you know what I'm saying? With any FBI case, 
After the mechanical work of the investigation is finished, the agents take their case to the assigned U.S. attorney, who then files the charges. Phil Carson spent 18 months tracking down new investigative leads. He had a ton of evidence. He went to his bosses at the FBI to take the case to the United States attorney to move towards getting justice. I decided to put together a prosecutive report to kind of just see like where we stood. I thought there was there was there was not only enough for an indictment, there was still a lot more work that could have been done, but how many more nails in the coffin do you need to put? I mean, I had I want to say six or seven or eight different sources independently talking about who was involved in the murder. And so I put together a full prosecutive report in a nice binder, took it down to the the assistant U.S. attorney who was going to prosecute the case, David Vaughn, gave it to him. He said, let me take a look at it. After a couple weeks, I reached out to him. I said, where do we stand with this? He goes, let me take another look at it again. So a little bit more time goes by and he gets back to me, says, he goes, no, I don't don't think there's enough here for us to prosecute. We're going to have to decline it. I'm like, what are you talking about? There's more than enough here. And your bosses also felt there was more than enough evidence to bring a case. Correct. So once, once, once Mr. Vaughn declined prosecution of that case, that's when I go to my bosses and I say, here's the status. The U.S. Attorney's Office is declining prosecution. And they're like, what are you talking about? So they said, we set up a meeting. I had our assistant director, the head of the criminal division, my boss's boss, my boss, our legal department, our press information people. And I went through page by page with our assistant director of the entire case of the prosecutive report that I put together. It was probably, I don't know, quarter inch thick or so. I went through everything with him. I remember specifically, Mr. Garcia looked at me in the eye and he goes, why isn't this case being prosecuted? I said, I don't know. You'd have to ask the U.S. Attorney's Office. I do the investigative side of things. They decide to prosecute. They're declining it. He goes, I don't see the letter of declination here. I go, because they wouldn't give me one. Like, what are you talking about? I said, I've asked them numerous times to give me a letter of declination. They will not give me one. And that a letter of declination would basically just state, we are not going to prosecute this case for whatever reason. And that is a protocol that's done every time between a U.S. attorney and an FBI if they decide to not take the case to the justice system. Every time. And the reason, and especially in a high profile case like this, God forbid if something were to happen and somebody were to make this case and it, our assistant director, none of my bosses, they don't want that to come back on them. They want to be able to say, look, we put together a good investigation here. We presented this to the U.S. Attorney's Office. If they decline to prosecute it, then we're stuck. That, that It's on them now. But you need that letter of declination. So Assistant Director Garcia, just I remember he looked me right at the eye and says, you get that letter of declination and you get that in the case file. Never got that letter of declination. Has that letter, do you think, ever been sent to this day? I know for a fact that letter was never sent and there was some communication that stated that there was a letter of declination and there was not. I know for a fact there was not. 
Immerse yourself in the fascinating tale of Song of Solomon by the legendary Pulitzer Prize winning author, Toni Morrison, a mesmerizing coming of age masterpiece that has captivated readers around the world. Follow the protagonist, Milkman Dead, who was born shortly after a neighborhood eccentric hurled himself off a roof in a vain attempt at flight. For the rest of his life, Milkman 2 will be trying to fly. As Morrison follows Milkman on a quest to uncover his roots and himself in his Rust Belt hometown, to the place of his family's origins, she introduces an entire cast of strivers and seeresses, liars, and assassins, the inhabitants of a fully realized black world. As the New Yorker put it, Morrison moves easily in and out of the lives and thoughts of her characters, luxuriating in the diversity of circumstances and personality. Whether you're a seasoned reader or new to Toni Morrison, Song of Solomon is a must-read that will ignite your imagination and leave you wanting to read more Morrison. Song of Solomon, a timeless tale that will stay with you long after you've turned its final page. Available now at TonyMorrison.com and wherever books are sold. All right, so life doesn't happen bi-weekly, so why should payday? The money you earn can be in your hands today with Earn In. Earn In is an app that gives you access to your pay as you work, up to $100 per day, or up to $750 per pay period. Just download the Earn In app and verify your paycheck. Then access up to 100 a day as you work and leave an optional tip. Any money you access plus tips are automatically repaid from your next paycheck. So maybe you need to get your kids something special or you and the wife Need a scintillating night out every once in a while, at least. So download Earn In Today, spelled E-A-R-N-I-N, in the Google Play or Apple App Store. When you download the Earn In app, type in the dossier under podcast. Earn In is a financial technology company, not a bank, subject to your available earnings, daily max, pay period max, and location. See earnin.com forward slash TOS for details. Bank products are issued by Evolve Bank and Trust, member FDIC. So the U.S. attorney decides to not do this case, but there's another component of this, right? Because now Perry Sanders and Dennis Chang are still suing the city of Los Angeles. Correct. Now, The question that I have is there comes a time where I believe all of your bosses, the LAPD and the the city's attorneys of Los Angeles are are it's known that Perry Sanders is going to call you as a witness in the civil trial. Can you take us through that story? Yeah. So in work in working different public corruption cases. One of the assistant U.S. attorneys that I worked a case with was Luis Lee. Great attorney, very successful prosecutor. 
parlayed that into leaving the U.S. Attorney's Office, goes out into the private sector, and probably made gobs of money. Well, at some point, he was involved with on on this civil suit. So I don't know if he was working as an independent lawyer that's brought onto the DA's office or moved over to the DA's office. But I got a call one day and, and, and it was Luis Lee. And he goes, Hey, he goes, we need to meet with you. He goes, you're a witness, uh, that's been presented by Perry Sanders in their ongoing civil suit. And I'm like, I don't know anything about this. What are you talking about? He goes, they just had to turn over a list of potential witnesses and you're on that list. We need to meet with you because we cannot have you testify. Just to be clear, Louis, Luis Lee would have had he would have been an attorney that was trying to protect the LAPD in the city of Los Angeles from this suit from Biggie's mom and Perry Sanders and Dennis Chang, et cetera. Correct. OK, so I get a hold of my bosses and I tell them about the phone call that we need to set up a meeting the next morning because Luis Lee is coming over. Um, and I guess I've been put on a witness list and they cannot afford to have me testify. So again, same players as that I met with regarding when I presented the prosecutive report to our assistant director, Garcia director, assistant director Garcia wasn't part of this meeting, but she had the chief of criminal, my boss's boss, my boss, you had our legal there. You had our press information people there. And so Luis Lee comes over to our office. We meet that morning and he point blank says, we cannot afford to have Agent Carson testify because if he does, we stand at least a 50-50 chance of losing a $500 million civil lawsuit and we can't afford that. If politically the FBI, the city attorneys allowed you to testify in that case for Perry Sanders and for Valletta Wallace, in your mind, what do you think would have happened? I think they would have won. I really do. You had access to almost everything in this case. Correct. And this is only your opinion. In your professional investigative opinion, what happened in the murder of Biggie? Based based on all the evidence, based on six or seven independent sources, um, based on the cover-up that LAP to the extent that the LAPD, the LA Times, and we haven't even talked about the LA DA's office and what they did in trying to smear me. Um, between those three big entities, the lengths that they went to to try to obstruct this case, shut it down, try to shut me down and discredit me to where if I ever did testify back then, not now, but back then if I were to testify, they would have been able to try to discredit me. Based on all that and based on other investigators that I've talked to about everybody agreeing that this was so well orchestrated, the whole murder of Biggie and the level of sophistication that would have had to take place with it and knowing how things went on in Rampart, how things went on in the Ruben Palmeros case, how thing went, things went on on the David Mack bank robbery. There is no other information out there that anybody has ever been able to show me or that I have seen that points to anything other than 
LAPD officers, along with another individual, obvious, was part of committing this murder. That's, again, anybody that looks at all this evidence, and again, somebody would have to go back and look at all these different cases. I don't see how anybody else could come up to and come to any other conclusion. Well, we know for a fact that David Mack had an accomplice. He's never talked about it. When Rafael Perez was arrested and charged and ended up pleading guilty, part thing, there were a couple areas that were considered off limits that he would talk about. One was the Mack Bank robbery. One was the Biggie Smalls. Nobody was allowed to talk about that. And that actually carried over into the federal investigation. We were not allowed to talk about that. Mayor Garcetti actually was quoted saying he could not believe that this dirty cop got this kind of deal. And part of the whole plea deal is you got to come clean on everything. You don't get to pick and choose what you want to talk about and what you don't want to talk about. Nobody asked him about this stuff. Nobody asked him about the uh, the Kevin Gaines and Frank Liga shooting. Nobody asked him about Kevin Gaines' involvement with uh, Sharitha Knight and Death Row Records. Nobody asked him about the involvement of LAPD officers with Death Row Records. Why? Probably because they didn't want to find out what they would hear. The information, evidence, and answers for this case are still buried inside the LAPD. Information on David Mack and Rafael Perez and their involvement was protected by high-level members of the LAPD and attorneys for the city of Los Angeles. This wasn't a mistake. This has been very calculated cover-up from the start. On July 1st, 2005, approximately 14 to 16 internal affairs files regarding Mac including the Mac Wallace murder IA were removed from internal affairs by the risk management group at the LAPD and an employee named Sal Piscopo and concealed in a cabinet in risk management. And you can tell me if I'm wrong about this. Bratton, Burkow, and whoever else that the names that I told you decided that the good place to put this information was in risk management. Because think about this. There's there's only a few people in risk management. Sal Piscopo and maybe this guy Stuart Maslin or Gerald Chaliff. They could control all of this information in that cabinet. They could hide it from robbery homicide. Yeah, absolutely. So, but where this all breaks down is the sheer fact that Let's just go back to the very first thing I told you. They investigated this murder. This murder is not unsolved. They solved this murder. They decided that they were going to take this evidence and they were going to hide it. It's 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 as plain as day in this. It's not you saying it, Phil. It's right. not me saying it. It's not Perry Sanders saying it. It's not some gangster saying it. It's said by the LAPD in writing. For close to 20 years, Phil Carson has wanted to go on the record about his investigation and what happened when he simply was doing his job and searching for the truth on who murdered Biggie. For the last eight episodes, 
Phil told that story with help from supporting characters that verified additional proof that the LAPD does not want to solve this case. It is the opposite, and they want to do everything in their power to stop justice. With any murder that has gone cold, only new information, a new clue or break, will allow it to be a story that lived in the past or a story that has become active. In the last few weeks, new information and rumors has emerged that Perry Sanders, the lawyer for Valletta Wallace, has decided to refile the case against the LAPD and the city of Los Angeles. It is possible that finally justice for Biggie's family will happen. As the episodes were released, I've been contacted by many sources with other information. One of these sources is a journalist from Compton who worked with Russell Poole and knows the secrets of this case. Here is journalist Michael Carlin. You've done something out of New York that I could never do from here. And I was warned that if I kept pursuing this, that I was going to end up in a, you know, in a six-foot grave somewhere. Yeah. And, you know, and, and there's a lot of people that just don't want to see this thing resolved because it's a lot of money. Yeah, a ton, a ton of money. I was I was on the phone with Perry Sanders last night, and what they've done behind the scenes legally is astounding. And well, I yeah, I think you've you've nailed it. You really have, and I'm proud of you and with the work that you've done. You seem to have taken it to the next level. I have something that you know might be of interest to you. Yeah, what, 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 is it something you can talk about or you want to save it? Yeah, no, it's fine. I, I have Shug Knight talking about the murders. Nobody's ever heard it. Oh, is that right? And is, was it done like on the phone? It was done on the phone. He was calling me from prison. And I just happened to be in Wisconsin, which is a one party state. And I was sitting in my hotel room when he called and I recorded it. I mean, does he offer up anything? Like, here's my interpretation of Suge when he's kind of broached this. He seems to talk around it. Does he say anything of merit? Yes. Next time on The Dossier. What's happening? Hey, how you doing, man? Good. <laughs> I finally get to talk to you, man. I've been following with great interest. You know, Russell Poole wanted to apologize to you. Yeah, I heard that, man. He's a good guy. I never lied to him or nobody because, you know, all that stuff. They know who's going on behind all that stuff, you know? Yeah. Well, he couldn't, in his mind, uh, separate you from Death Row Records. And oh, as okay. you... As we were doing the investigation, I said, you have to understand, Russell, that, you know, Mr. Knight was, uh, you know, in the car next to Tupac. I mean, that's not. And then with the Biggie thing, Mr. Knight was in jail. And I, 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 mean, met, I met somebody who was in jail with you at the time. And he said, it's impossible that he was on a cell phone back then. Impossible. It's definitely possible. I mean, the one thing, too, 
with it with two pounds. I, got, I still got a 45 bullet inch to my skull. And the thing about it is, they've been knowing all this type of stuff from day one. And they, that's why they violated me and sent me to prison last time. And the other thing is for his, for Biggie's son, I'm quite sure if they, if they, if they saw the first one, they would have saw the second one. Cause it's the same circle of people, you know? It is the same circle. I mean, I, you know, yeah. I got tapped on the shoulder by, uh, by one of the cop's daughters that was involved. And she told me, I mean, you know, this isn't conjecture anymore. We know the facts. Yeah, same people, same circle of people. Yeah. Have nothing to do with me, you know?